All right, so our passage for today is Romans chapter 5. Why don't you stand with me as we read the passage? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely one would die for a righteous man, though for a good man, some, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking their command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like a trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned throughout one Ready through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one man's trespass is condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You now remember when we said sometimes it's hard to see this book as a letter? It feels more like a theological paper. How about that one? Yeah. Holding on to that passage and trying to stay with it. We should be taking about a half hour just to read that real slow so that you can actually process it. But actually, we, we got maybe about 20 minutes here to actually explain the whole thing. So we're going to be cruising. Uh, you know, 
we generally don't get to watch a whole lot of TV uh, because oftentimes the evenings are, are spent in meetings and the like, so we don't get a whole lot of chance to watch TV. But every time we click that thing on, it seems like there's this one commercial that's on. Every time, and it has to, maybe it's just because that commercial's on all the time, but it's one company right now. Cisco, you heard of Cisco, and you know what their slogan is? The human network. Cisco, the human network, you'll see a picture of like this girl, she comes into the doctor's office, and she goes to see her doctor, and they say, well, the doctor's on vacation, and she says, okay, and she turns around and leaves, and they're like, no, you can still see him. And she, she's like, okay, where is he? And they say, in Copenhagen. And she's like, Copenhagen, that's far away. And then they bring her into the office, and here he is on a video screen being projected from vacation, still taking clients. One of the problems, but in our world today is we don't know how to rest. But at any rate, the whole point is Cisco saying that they have everything networked so that no matter where you are, you're always connected to everyone else, the human network. You know, I think that there's more of a human network than Cisco is aware of. And frankly, I think that there's been a human network in place for a long, long time, since the beginning. Actually, there's more of a human network than at times we like to acknowledge or appreciate. Let me explain. Yesterday, we were at a birthday party for Evan and Colton. Well, it wasn't their birthday, it was one of their friends' birthday. And uh, they went to Jungle Wonder. Anybody know where Jungle Wonder is over in Limerick? It's like this like arcade and big, huge play area. I don't know how to describe it. I was a kid. They didn't have those things. It was, uh, I can honestly say that. You know, it was, uh, it's like four stories of uh, enclosed uh, playground area, and it was, it was awesome. I, it's actually only like two literal stories, but four kid-sized stories uh, stacked on top of each other in there. Anyway, they're climbing all around. Well, after they get done playing, then they come back over to eat the pizza and have a cake, and the dad, uh, who's part of our second service, Mike, Mike Schneider, you might not know him yet, he just recently, he and Kristen just recently started coming. Their daughter Brooke went to her party. And, and as they bring them all into the, into the room to eat, uh, Mike, the kids start to dive in, and Mike says, whoa, 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 don't eat yet. You guys have just been climbing all over Jungle Wonder. And believe me, when they say Jungle Wonder, the AC, I think, was broken in that place last night. It was a jungle wonder, let me tell you. And uh, so anyway, we, when we were right we were about to eat, he's like, don't eat yet. Your hands are all mess. Why? Why are you asking to stop? Because they have germs on their hands and he doesn't want to get sick, right? Isn't it amazing that what happens is, is some little kid's up there playing and he has something running out of his nose and he does this and then he goes and grabs this and then the next kid who comes behind grabs this and then he goes and sits down and grabs his pizza and then the pizza goes into his mouth and next thing you know, the human network is in full effect and we've been infected because of the human network. It's funny, this passage describes sin as exactly the same thing. It says that in the beginning, Adam was there. And through the trespass of one man, the entire human network was infected with sin. It was like a pandemic. The avian flu, the bird flu, nothing compared to sin. And this was genetic, too. If one of them got it, the kids got it. Everyone was infected. It was worse than cancer. It was worse than AIDS. It was the most crippling disease that has ever touched our planet. Sin, separation from God, self-focus. 
And all of a sudden, the purpose of humanity got flipped on its head. And no longer were we living for the glory of God and living in righteousness. We became eternal, self-focused, depraved. That's the human network at work. Well, shortly after that, God, a few generations later, God brings the law. And the law helps us when it comes to diagnosis of the virus that we've been infected with. What the law is, is the law sets the righteous standard. It says, if we were living the way we should be living, in love and in submission to God, then this is what it would look like. This is how we would interact with each other. This is the basic bare-bones standard. This isn't the fullness of it. It's the basic bare-bones standard of how we would be living. And what it does is that law becomes a mirror for humanity. Because we became so accustomed to the disease that we lived with, sin, that we forgot to realize that it was sin anymore, that we forgot to realize it was a disease, a virus. We thought it was just life. We didn't know there was life any better. So in his grace, he gives us the law as a picture of this is how things are actually supposed to be. And when we look at that law, and we look at ourselves, and we realize that we can't attain it, and we fall dreadfully short every time we try to, we begin to remember that there's an actual problem with us, and he diagnoses us as sinners in need of a Savior. And so what happens is, is this human network that's been infected with the virus, then he provides a cure. He develops a cure. He finds an antivirus. And the antivirus, obviously, is Jesus. In Jesus, this is what happens with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're told this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. You see, what Jesus does is like any good antiviral, like any good cure, it has to go into the body and connect itself to the ugliness. It has to go into the body and begin to mingle with the sin, with the virus. And what Jesus does is spectacular. He leaves the heavenly realms and he becomes human, takes on the form of humanity. But then he takes it another step. And when he hangs on the cross, he takes all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our shortcoming, all the diagnosis that the law has revealed us. And he grips onto it, and he pulls it onto himself, and he holds it as close as he can. And as we, and the Roman soldiers, and the Pharisees, and each one of us as sinners, begin to push him down. And as, the, and as death pushes him down into the grave, he makes sure that as he goes down into the grave, he's grabbing and scraping and pulling all the sin off of our lives, and taking it with him, and burying it down into the dirt, so that as we pound the nails into him, and as we pound the coffin shut, and as we roll the stone over, and as we push him down into the grave, he makes sure that he takes all of our sins with us so that we bury our sins along with him. And Jesus becomes the antivirus. And what he does is he becomes sin so that just as sin entered in through Adam and spread all through the human network, he attaches himself to the sin. So now anywhere that there is sin, there's the possibility of grace and forgiveness and the blessing of God and of righteousness. Because see, this cure, this cure of Jesus, it's not just about justification. 
It's not just about reconciling a relationship with God. It does do that. Like we talked about last week, it balances the accounts. He credits us. He balances the accounts, and he gets us back in relationship with him. He heals the impurities, but he doesn't just heal the impurities. He doesn't just bring us back to square. It goes a step beyond. Let's look at the passage again here today in verse 9 and 11. 9, well, 9 and 10. Chapter 5, 9 and 10. Since we now have been justified by his blood, Okay, we've been made right by his blood. We've been washed and forgiven and cleansed. The virus has been purified by his blood. That's verse 9, second half of verse 9. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You hear what I'm saying? This is what it's saying. We've been made clean again. We've been purified. The cancer has been eradicated. It's gone. The chemo worked. Jesus came in as the antivirus and he cleansed it. But if we have been justified, how much more will we be saved from his wrath? What does this mean? Saved from his wrath. Well, you might remember when we started the Roman series... We were in chapter 1, and we were back in, uh, back in verse 18, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1. I want to read something to you. The wrath of God. Okay, so it's about to talk about the wrath of God, which it says, if we've been justified, we will also be saved from the wrath of God. So it's about to explain the wrath of God. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. Who suppress the truth by the way. Since what may be known, what may, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible father, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men without excuse. Let's skip down to verse 24. Well, actually, no, let's just read 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now down to verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies of one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped the created things, rather than the created, who is forever praised. Amen. Then verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. What is this saying? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, and the way he is revealing his wrath is that if we choose to walk away from him, and if we choose sin, then our lives begin to spiral downward. Our minds become depraved, and we let ourselves go. And it gets worse and worse, and the condition worsens. Now, if we flip back to page five or to uh, chapter five, what he's saying is, in verse nine, since we now have been justified by His blood, okay, He took all that sin and He pulled it down to the grave with Him, and we've been purified and forgiven. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? So, what is God's wrath? 
is the degrading of our bodies, the depravity of our mind, the downward spiral of our lives. And so he says, we've been made right, but how much more now are we going to be saved from the cycle that takes us downward? Okay, we're square with God. We can have a relationship with him. But can we actually change the downward spiral of our lives? <coughs> Excuse me. Can we actually stop the wrath of God, that cycle that starts? Let me explain. <coughs> Sorry. There we go. Got it. <laughs> this cure is not just about justification. The cure is also about sanctification and about purification. He purifies us and he sanctifies us. He not just makes us square, but he takes it further. And um, he will work out in us this process where instead of us going downhill, now we begin to go uphill. What he wants to do is purify. Purification is a word that sometimes we don't naturally want to hear. Because we know that purification means that he has to strip things from us. And even though, and Owen's testimony is a great example of this, even though we have accepted Christ, even though we've been brought back into relationship, there's still this side of us that feels like we're the ones who know what we really need and what we really want. And so we still want to hold on to certain parts. We don't want to expose it to the light. We don't want God to take control of those areas because we still want those things for ourselves. And what he's saying here, basically what he's saying is, I know exactly what's best for you. And I don't want to just heal you from sin. I don't want to just get you back to okay. I want you to thrive. I want you back to a place where you can fulfill the purposes that I created you for. And while all those files, all that DNA inside of us, all of those little cells in our, in our spiritual body have been infected with sin, okay, so I'm curing you of the sin, but now I don't want to just make you cured. I want to make you healthy and whole and functioning the way you're supposed to be functioning. And so this is how Paul describes it at the beginning of the whole passage in verse 2. Well, we'll start with verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now listen, right here in, in uh, verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What did Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 said, There are none righteous, no, not one. So there are none righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But what Paul says right here at the end of verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has freely given us. He wants desperately to restore us to our creator. To give us the ability, again, to reveal the glory of God. To not just be okay, but to be righteous. And in order for this to happen, we need him 
to do surgery on every part of us. We need a cure, Jesus, to find its way in the human network and get to every little nook and cranny of our lives. If I say, I'm a sinner, save me, well, that's great. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have to be a sinner in order to be saved. And all we have to do is admit we're a sinner. If you're not a sinner yet, then you can't be saved. But if you are a sinner, all you have to do is admit it, and salvation is free. However, because we've been justified doesn't mean that it's all been worked out yet. And what he's saying is, is I can get to every corner of your life if you will expose it to me. And so what we need to do is we need to crave the judgment of God. We crave the judgments of God. You see, David talks about that. He talks about how much he craves the righteous judgments of God. Because what David understands is, is in order for his life to get where he needs to go, he needs God to redeem every little corner of his life. Why would we want the judgment to come up on us? It's kind of, you know, I, many of you know that a few weeks ago, I uh, dislocated my shoulder and I have to have surgery on my shoulder. Well, I, when we were, right after it happened, I went over to the sports medicine guy and he said, we're going to have to have, you know, take some pictures of it so we can understand, you know, what we can get a really good look at and see the damages. He said, so we're going to take an MRI. He said, but one, one difference, this is actually an MRA where we shoot fluid into your shoulder in order to get a better look at it. He said, and when he said, oh, as I was leaving, he said, we'll schedule it for two weeks from now. Oh, and by the way, it's going to really hurt when they take that stuff with and I was like, you couldn't have waited until like a half hour beforehand to tell me that. You had to tell me about two weeks ahead of time. But anyway, so I go, I go into the hospital, and they take this needle, and they try to get it down into the joint, and they're hitting the bone and missing, you know. And finally they get in there, and they fill it up with fluid, and then I go back, and they put me in the machine, and the, and the uh, MRI happens, and, they, and then when they get the pictures, apparently the juice that's in there lit everything up, so you could see in great detail what was working and what wasn't working. And this is exactly what happens with the judgments of God. He puts the judgments upon us. He gives us his word with all of its standards, and it tells us how we should live our lives. And if what we gauge our lives on is how we're feeling at any given moment, we'll never see the reality of what's going on in our lives. But when we read the scriptures, and it tells us how to live our lives, and we look at it, and we say, oh my goodness, in great detail, the judgments of God are showing me that this part of my life isn't lining up. This part of my life isn't lining up. This part of my life isn't lining up. Therefore, the righteousness of God and the glory of God is not being revealed through my life. And God has all the power to redeem me. He has all the ability to save me. He wants desperately to make my life everything that it is supposed to be. He doesn't want to hurt me. He doesn't want to hurt me. He wants to heal me and restore me. But in order for that to happen, I have to get transparent. I have to get open. And I have to say, God, what I want is I want to see your judgments on my life, not because I'm masochistic and I want pain, but because I want the best life possible. And I recognize that the only way for me to get that is for you, the great doctor, to take a great look at my life and for me to be diagnosed in every specific area of my life, because wherever the sin exists, that's where the cure can go and can redeem and can restore and make us whole again. But if I'm not willing to look at the sin that's there and admit that it's there, then he can't heal it for me, and he can't restore it, and he can't do anything for it. You see how it works? Now here's the deal. This is why Paul says, I rejoice now in suffering. Because in suffering... 
I learn perseverance. And in perseverance, he develops character in me. And character is hope. And hope does not disappoint. Any of you ever had, had to go through rehab, physical rehab, you hurt something, and you had to go through rehab, and that's a real painful process. It's a, it's a very, very painful thing. But here's the thing about rehab, is that if you have hope, if you see progress, if you see it working, you can endure way more pain. But if you don't see any progress, and it's not working, it's really hard to understand why you're in pain. Bob Hyatt isn't with us today, but you know, he, had, he just had a, he had a terrible go around with his head, where you know, he had the surgery and he was trying to go through all the, uh, the rehab and everything, but it wasn't getting any better. And the pain was just getting worse and worse. And after a while, he's like, why in the world am I doing this? You know, it's not making any sense. On the other hand, if he, the second time he's had the surgery, and it's going a lot better, and you can see the, the progress being made, and then it gives him all the encouragement, bring on the pain. Because the more I have, the better it's going to get. And this is what God's saying to him. The purpose of our life is to have righteousness in it, to glorify God. To reveal him, that's what we were created for. And when we begin to see character developing within us, and we see our lives moving forward, and we see that two years ago, when this person said that thing to me, I would have wanted to get mad at But now, my heart turns toward him, and I begin to pray for him. Character has developed within me. And when I see that happening, I have hope, because I am not just made square and forgiven for my sin. I'm actually being restored, and I'm being able to live righteously now. And I'm able to reveal the glory of God because there's hope, because I watched him refining my life. And now I look at the sufferings, and I rejoice in them because I say, this is the judgment of God that will highlight the sin within me and teach me to persevere and hold on so that God can develop godly character within me and he can make my life what it is intended to be. God's power and his death and his resurrection, oh, they're powerful enough to get us into the relationship with him. And they're powerful enough to get us to heaven. But they're much more powerful than they're powerful enough for me to love those who hate me, to do good to those who curse me, to become humble in the midst of pride. His power and his resurrection are strong enough to make me a healing agent in the kingdom. And that is the work of God's production. That's right. <coughs> Jesus, we thank you because we know that the call in our lives has been to be those who work with you at Redeem. The call on our lives has been we are the people who are to glorify you, to bring glory to you, who walk in glory. We know that we've fallen short. We know that the call on our lives is to live righteously, to be a living standard, a living example of the character of God that we have all sinned and fallen short. God, we ask that not only would you give us faith to believe in the redemption that leads us to salvation, but that you would also, God, continue to work out your salvation in our lives day in and day out. God, I ask for the power, the strength, the courage, and the hope to be transparent, to be open, and to be honest. Again, we thank you for Owen's testimony that is, that is uh, 
act as an archetype today, stereotypical of how you work, transforming the life when it gets transparent and open out. And I ask God that we, as a church, God, would be infected with the cure of the gospel. And that God, this church, as we take a hold and become purified and redeemed the glorious and righteous, that we would infect our land with the cure. And that God would be to move powerfully across our land, infecting the human network with the cure of Jesus Christ through your people who are your body. In whose name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Uh-huh.